to this. You know what? And in the ring with Dan and Benny, hey, brother, man, he's about the most cat. I just love him to death. I love you. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're the best. I'm telling you, brother, in the ring with Dan and Benny. Yeah. We love you. Thank Woo. you so much, Dan. Oh, yeah. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spashano, joined, as always, by the player himself, Benny Scala. Benny, uh, I can't start without giving a shout-out this weekend. I was here in Virginia. We went to the, I went to the v, final VCW show of 2023, uh, the wonderful ceremony retirement of George Pontus, friend of the show. We can't stress enough how great it would have been, or, or really how great it was to see it and and where we would be without George. I mean, he means so much to the show. It was great stuff. Uh, but how are you doing, Benny? I'm good. I, I heard, I mean, I'm so sorry I wasn't there, but I, I'm so glad that you were. And I did hear that George got a little bit of closure with uh, Mr. Stepanitsis. Yeah, he, uh, uh, we, J- Jerry, another former guest of the show, um, he got his, finally, George finally got his comeuppance, one of the better and longer running feuds in Virginia wrestling history and great stuff. Uh, crowd went crazy for it. Uh, obviously David Crockett was a special presentation, George, you know, it was just good to see him. The whole family was there and it was great stuff. So George, if you're listening, if you're out there, congratulations on your retirement and happy, uh, uh to the golden years as they were. And, and it was great to see, I was so proud to be a part of it. And, uh, at the end, you know, it's funny. Um, George and I went to a Monday Night Raw taping here in Virginia a few months back, and I took us probably 45 minutes to get to our seats because it was every few feet. Hey, hey, Dan, take this picture because he it, it would have been shorter to put a list of who he didn't know in that building. Right, yeah. Like everybody we ran into, and as we were packing up, you know, the show's over. Uh, the you know my wife was with me. He's hey, you mind getting a quick picture with the family? And then this guy, and then we're standing there for half hour taking pictures with all the people trying to, you know, want to take a picture, a picture with George as they're leaving. And it's just, it's, it's funny because you can't like, when you see that, that reaction that people have, like you could tell the, um, what's the word you can tell how, how much he meant to the fans and to people oh, yeah. I mean, as a teacher and a father and, and, you know, an educator principal. And of course, anybody that's watched anybody that's watched WWE network, Peacock, any of the specials, uh, lost treasures there's been all kinds of stuff that's used his footage um you know some of the some of the better memories of wrestling history especially for the mid-atlantic uh exist because of how dedicated he was so shout out to you george great stuff george pontas is a real life mr holland exactly very well said but um benny we've got a great show tonight we have a returning guest uh we get to combine our two favorite topics once again. So, uh, Benny, why don't you tell everybody who our, the third man is with us tonight? Yes, sir. Now, this gentleman, was a, he was a writer for the Wrestling Mags. Uh, he is a playwright and a novelist extraordinaire. And, oh, in his spare time, he even tried out for the greatest team on earth. And it's not the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very glad to welcome back Mr. Gary Morgenstein. Gary, welcome back to Dan and Benny in the Ring. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be back with you guys. Pleasure is ours. 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks again for for doing this. It's we had a great time having you on last time. Obviously, wrestling and baseball, like two of our favorite things. <laughs> yes. And, and it's not Benny always loves because he he Benny always gets a baseball reference in, and he loves the sh- the the shows where he gets to talk about baseball during the intro. Yes. So, well, go for it, Benny. Wait, wait. I'm just I'm moving around. I'm moving away from my dog so his breathing doesn't bother everyone. That's like a uh, 1-900 uh, phone call breathing there. <laughs> That's all right. There we go. I didn't want people to think it's that kind of show. <laughs> Although well, it be too I don't know how it anyway. can hey, you know, hey, parents, have your, have your uh, was it children, have your parents' permission before calling? <laughs> we might lose our PG-13 rating there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, Benny, I think we lost that. We lost that around episode 100. We lost that with Rip Rogers after 206 <laughs> F-bombs in uh, 58 minutes. <laughs> between between, between uh, Rip Rogers and, and Ken Patero, we had yeah, about yeah, three, if, if, 300 if, if, and, 350 uh, F-bombs over the course okay. of a couple of hours. It was, yeah. PG-13, you get one a movie. So right. I, think we're, I think we're past that. But, uh, Gary... You obviously, you know, like Benny mentioned, and, and our fans know this is the second, you know, you've been on the show before. Uh, it, we've had you in the past, it, it's, but it's been a little while. So I want to kind of touch up again on the first question. We always ask everybody if you could tell us once more uh, when the wrestling bug bit you from a fan perspective and who got you really involved in, in liking wrestling. Well, I used to read the wrestling magazines. Um, I did have a lot of friends as a kid. And uh, that's, that's another story. But um, so I was pretty much of a loner. So on Saturdays, I would go to the pizza rest, the, the pizza place in my neighborhood, and I'd um, stop at the candy store beforehand, and I'd buy magazines. And I would always be buying. It would be like you know, Inside Wrestle would be there, the wrestler, and I um, I remember just watching the matches. And now I was a huge sports fan growing up and I knew that it was, you know, not entirely what it was supposed to be, but I was just so fascinated by the pageantry and like so many things in life, you know, you, you stumble upon something as a fluke. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it was, it's supposed to be what it's supposed, it's going to be. But, um, I had been a journalist. I've been working for the Cincinnati post on the Kentucky bureau and that, um, worked out and it didn't. So I came back to Long Island um, and I uh, was, you know, my, my parents lived and I needed a job. Simple as that. And there was an ad in Newsday for a writer um, for sports magazines. I said, oh, I love sports. This is, you know, how wonderful is this? So it was for the wrestling magazines. I said, oh, all right. Well, OK, this could be kind of fun. So um, I took a, te- a sample test and I did everything right, except I should not have added the wrestler's age, <laughs> you know, and so I was hired and I, and for the next four years, I, I had the honor of um, being one of the founding editors of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which is, you know, iconic uh, and working with people like uh, uh, Bill Apter and Stu Sachs and um, uh, 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 Craig Peters and Randy, uh, Randy Gordon, and Steve Farhood and Dan Shockett. And of course, Matt Brock. So uh, it, was, it was a wonderful experience. But that was back in the day when um, it was kayfabe. It was way different than it is. Gary, out of curiosity, what year was that? I got the job in um, the end of 77. Wow. Yeah. Okay. 
Man, I'm sorry I didn't see that ad in Newsday. I used to read it. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Well, um, again, we always kept up the, the pretense uh, that wrestling was a sport, you know, a real sport. Like mm. others. And, um, and, and a few years ago, maybe like five, six years ago, this magazine writer finally said he was, he was going to tell the truth. Um, he's going to, but he wasn't lucky to hurt anyone, but he just thought it's a fascinating story about how we work with wrestling and how, um, you know, the whole industry was put together and, um, the omerte, uh, you know, the, the code of silence. And it was really, it was very cool. And finally I spy was interviewed and, and Bill Apter and Stu Sachs and Craig Peters. Um, so for example, I'll give you everyone how, how it, it happened. Uh, we would get pictures from around the world and you know uh and so we'd select we'd sit around the desk uh peter king was the editor at the time and we select a photo the cover shot okay and then we come up with a headline the secret agony of andre the giant and then i'd go back and write a three-page article on what that secret agony was now i had c complete license to write what i wanted as well as long as i wasn't you know being defamatory obviously or, or personal but as long as i followed the script of who was the good guy who was the bad guy what was happening I had to to mirror it mirror it and um so i'd write about andre in his dressing room all alone uh but how, how did i know that you know if he's all alone but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know a little thing like that but no one ever but people accepted it and that that's the wonderfulness of it um because it had a certain quality a certain reality in in a sense if you'll forgive the stretching that word reality it it was a special world back then under um vince mcmahon senior and you know benny and i share a wrestling um idol uh bruno san martino but there were many of them um who made the sport uh unique and it was a lot harder when you had to pretend something was real than it is now where it's just well it's entertainment well okay fine so the cat's out of the bag and now it's going to be sheer pageantry but back then uh, I, I would tell friends what i did for a living and they say oh yeah well but you know there was that one match that i know is real because people always need to hold on to mm -hmm. a, a, right a sense of truth mm -hmm. And I, it was just, and I thought it was, I, I thought the connection to the fans was, was extraordinary and the cooperation between everyone in um, promoting the, the um, wrestling. And, and remember, so 19, I, I started 1977, so Pro Wrestling Illustrated launched in 1978. Remember America at that time, uh, there was no cable television, really. I mean, there was HBO, was, you know, pay, pay you know, pay, pay right, service, right? Right, right. Yeah. Those superstations, those CNN. So how did you get news? Right? Especially yeah, wrestling. Yeah, the primetime network news. Well, yeah, but, you know, um, uh, Huntley and Brinkley was not about to talk about, you know, the, the Nick Bockwinkle's title defense. Oh, 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 you mean how did you get your wrestling news? Wrestling? Yeah. Oh, no, it was non-existent. No, yeah. it was just not, no one was, gonna, was going to um, indulge, in or, indulge it or acknowledge it. So... Pretty much, as Benny, you will attest, um, people got their news from us. That's how, I mean, you didn't know 
if you lived in New York, you had no idea what was happening, you know, in NWA, AWA. I mean, what was happening in, in Atlanta. You just, you know, Mr. Wrestling 2, who, who was that? You know, on and on. And we sold at newsstands, newsstand um, sales now. We sold out, um, we surpassed Sports Illustrated. Which, you know, we were the rock stars because people. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, millions people around the world depended on us uh so it was kind of a it was really a kind of a, a very unique time well no that's that's great you know i, I want to get your thoughts on something you you said uh you know about the real sport um there was a, a a clip for i guess lack of a better term a clip that that went viral re- just recently within the last week um it was uh, Dave Meltzer on his show was talking about the the issues AEW has been having with overruns, and the way he tried he kind of framed it is uh, it's a sports show like you don't you know you can't control how the the match length and and you could he was almost kind of trying to keep kayfabe of well, I you know if the, if the main event goes ten minutes longer than they hoped it's it's a it's a wrestling match you can't you can't control that and the other. Uh, you know, voice of the argument was like, well, it's, it's scripted television. You could tell them five more minutes and the match right now. And, and I'm curious uh, in, because you, you hit it. I wanted to get your thoughts on it. it. Reminded me of that interview. What do you, what do you think about the, the, in the media today? Like there is parts of, of wrestling that still have to be presented as a real sport, even though everyone knows it's, it's scripted entertainment. What do you, what do you think about that? Where like you, you, you kind of almost like watching a movie. The fans have to kind of suspend disbelief to get the level of enjoyment they used to have. Well, you, you, you hit it perfectly. They have to suspend uh, disbelief to, to get it how it used to be when before they did believe it. And no one was saying otherwise. Now, it wasn't true, but you didn't know that. And that, you know, it's, it's a very, very big difference. Uh, I think once you say that it's, you know, what is it, sports entertainment? Right. Is it, yeah, okay, sports entertainment. You're saying you're a wink at, you know, well, it's not it's not real. Well, you take, you don't let people think, I mean, obviously they don't know who's what the script is going to say, but that's like a movie. You don't know how it's, you know, it's not, but it's not left to the chance of people. It's not left up to the chance of human beings. The quirks. You know, that moment when, you know, there's nothing's preordained. Right. Right. Not, not when it's real. Nothing's preordained. Nothing is supposed to happen the way, you know, unless you if you have a great deal of faith, you could say otherwise. But for, for our purposes, nothing is preordained. I think that makes a big difference. Nice. Gary, I've asked this question before. I think it's good enough to bear repeating and I. I've related this story on social media countless times about I, I grew up in Farmerdale, Long Island. I went to Mill Lane Junior High School. Along the way, uh, on the way home was Joyce's luncheonette. It was Joyce and her husband, three-fingered Nat. And he was not to be confused with uh, Mordecai, three-finger Brown. But you know, upon entry, I, I can still see this story. It's, you know, 55 years ago. But to the left was when you walked into the immediate left was a magazine rack. And, you know, most kids my age, the, the playboys were all up at the top, right? But, you know, <laughs> but Nat was the ultimate eight-finger uh, magazine security. I guess we count both hands. Yeah, I, but I knew exactly where the wrestling magazines were. And I always carried a couple of bucks in my pocket just in case there was a new one. 
number one, I can still feel that feeling when I would see a magazine that I didn't have. It's just it's hard to describe to somebody the the elation that I felt and how I, I, I cradled that magazine, you know, for the mile and a half home walk like it was a small child. But um, and you got into it already as far as what the magazines meant to the fans. But and, you know, with me, the first time I opened it was a wrestling world, I think was the first one I ever got. And uh, I, I started reading about these guys and I'm thinking, who the hell is Sam Steamboat? You know, who is Joe Scarpa, which you know, I would find out later who the heck he was. But, you know, I I didn't realize that outside of what I watched on Saturday night on Channel 47 from Newark, New Jersey, when it was Johnny Rods versus Thomas Marin, I didn't think there was any other wrestling. So, man, what an eye opener when I first looked at one of those magazines. So, you know, if you can just expand a little bit that, you know, people don't realize that back in the day it was, all you know, you had your local you know, studio wrestling and you had your magazines and that was it. Yeah. Well, and you were in on us and you were, you were in on a secret in a way you were, you know, you were part of a club and there was an innocence to it. And even with, you know, the, sometimes the, the, the shit in the studio, you go, Oh my God, you know, um, but the, you know, the announcers, they were great. They would hold fast. They would play along and, I've I have to tell you I'm sure you you would um, know this too. There's really you don't get much bigger better gentlemen than professional wrestlers in terms of respecting the fans. At least it was back in the day. And I when I later I worked at um, at Sci-Fi Channel in in, in publicity, and no one else wanted to handle you know um, SmackDown <laughs> on Tuesday night. Oh yeah, Gary, you can handle that. All right, you have background in that. And I was I was struck again by how decent they were and how the respect for the public, which you certainly don't see anymore or a great deal of in professional athletes. So it's that at least has remained consistent, I think. And um, but again, if you if other people say, well, it's fake and you think you insist it's real and people can't prove that it's fake, you've got a leg up. Right. When yeah. You're it's like, yeah, well, what do you know? Right. It's a, it's, you know, you are armed with something that less people are privy to. And it's, uh, it's, it's kind of fun. Well, you were close to the same age. I, I found out you're just a little teeny bit older than me, but I remember that, you know, when I first discovered wrestling, I was in the, I guess the eighth grade, but Wrestling fans, like it was kind of almost like a secret society, and you had a, you know, you 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 knew who was a wrestling fan, and you went, you could walk over, and if they were by themselves, like, hey, did you watch on, uh, did you see Smasher Sloan on Saturday night? And then you'd start having this conversation, and one of the jocks would walk over, and you know, the conversation would turn to uh, the fillet of fish haddock, you know, that in the cafe, <laughs> having that tartar sauce, you know, yeah, it's yeah. just like. We had to keep it a secret. Now, I guess that's one of the good things is you don't have to keep it a secret anymore. Well, no. And again, there is we live in a world where everything's public. And we live in a world where the lack of truth is celebrated. And you don't have to say the truth and you don't have to be burdened with facts as long as you have a belief and 
there's no core to that. There's no central quality to it. But I don't want to say that, you know, the world was necessarily better back in the days of wrestling. But at least within that subworld of professional wrestling, you knew what was what. Even though it was all made up, you believed in, the, in a truth and you held to a truth. And now I don't know how anyone holds to any kind of truths anymore, anywhere, in any way. You, you know, it's funny you you say how you, uh, you know, you, the kind of the people know more. It's it's crazy to look at some of the reactions that wrestlers have gotten just in the last couple of years as social media followings have shifted and news from backstage has shifted, you know, stuff that, that there's no surprise behind the character anymore. Like, you know, I mean, even I hate to say it, but even diehard heels like the most vile, evil characters go on Twitter and post pictures of them and their wife donating turkeys to, you know, some Thanksgiving food drive or something. It's like, ah, oh, I can't boo you anymore because you're well, not a bad person. You're actually, you're actually a nice guy. <laughs> right. Right. But it was, I think it was better when there was the um, mystery. You talk about, you know, Hollywood stars. Absolutely. Who, right. Who needed to know who was stooping who or who was gay or who was straight or who was, you know, a drunk. Or, it, right. It never happened. It didn't happen with, you know, professional athletes. It didn't happen with our politicians. You know, John, you know, hosting, you know, bevies of hookers in the White House pool. Um, people, you know, didn't know this. And it, maybe it was better not to know everything. This really was my 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 point that, you know, we we should have some secrets. We but, you know, it's funny, Gary, because back then, I believe that the media protected, you know, the politicians and yeah. the athletes, whereas now they, they live to expose them. Yes. And it's gone yeah. the other way. Yeah. Right. You know, it, the people didn't talk about, you know, what, Mantle, you know, being drunk. You know, right. I mean, and on and all the other the players. We, we, didn't, we really didn't want to know that. We, we oh. didn't want to know that Kennedy had hookers. We didn't want to know that Mantle, you know, you know, got got blowjobs under the right field bleachers. We didn't we didn't want to know that right. stuff. No. And, and, how, and how did it help us that we did? I mean, what? Right. what? It, I mean, it, it didn't because it, it, you know, it lowered, you know, our opinion of our heroes. We didn't want to know. We wanted them exalted. Right. Well, and so we really are in a stage where can't you know the essence of wrestling or heroes are the good guys right uno san martinos right and could we have another bruno san martino could would the would the public accept someone of that much dignity and integrity anymore you, you know i it almost reminds me of the reactions, even even though it was some of it was in love, uh, you know, just because it was fun to chant it. The reactions John Cena got towards the end of his his years, uh, I should say his main main years. Obviously, he still comes back periodically, but, you know, he would get booed out of buildings and J Cena sucks chance and all this stuff. And yet he was still number one merch seller and doing the make a wishes. Like he was clearly the biggest star they had and people loved him, but the crowds would, you know, not react because it was just cool to boo him. Same thing you know, towards the end in, uh, uh, on the other side, WCW in the nineties, you know, part of the reason that the NWO formed was because the fans had started rejecting this holier than now 
cookie cutter white, you know, white white meat Hulk Hogan. So no, I, I honestly and and Benny, I think we've talked about this on the show before. I don't think you could have a a hero long term hero eight year champ Bruno. No. Everybody loves because eventually the fans it would just get you know they boo him just because it was cool to be to not like the guy that was popular. Right. But uh, changing gears a little bit. Obviously, we talk about wrestling, a wrestling show, but Benny and I are very active talking about baseball, too. We've appeared a lot uh, on ba- a baseball podcast. Uh, shout out to uh, shout out to our friends on that end as well. So Benny mentioned something, and I'm going to have to look it up because he, he said it while we were getting ready to record. There's a video apparently out there, but we can't let you leave here until you tell us a story about your tryout for the Yankees. Yes, I can send you um, what's on YouTube. It's um, Gary Morgenstein tries. I, I'm trying to remember what it's titled, but it's um, I don't have that many videos on, on YouTube. <laughs> uh, but in ni- um, 1983, my second novel came out back when I had black hair um, and it was called The Man Who Wanted to Play Center Field for the New York Yankees. And um, it's a kind of a, a baseball Rocky about um, a 33 year old New Yorker who almost made it but had an injury and gave up his dream and decides he's going to go try out. And, you know, his wife thinks he's insane and his work and everything like that. And, um, and back in the day they had, um, open tryouts and many, uh, uh, baseball teams, especially the Yankees. So it was like 18 to 30 and you could try out. And so I got the idea that, um, being a publicity whore, I was going, <laughs> Um, which, which is why I'm totally publicity whore. I said, I came up with the idea and I asked my publisher, I said, can I do that? They said, yeah, that's a great idea. So um, I called the Yankees. Murray Cook was assistant GM. He, he passed away a few years ago. He went to Pittsburgh. Lovely guy. And I explained what I wanted. And he laughed. He said, OK, just don't get hurt. I said, well, I really don't want to get hurt. Now, flashback to um, now I was so I was in, I was 30 years old then. Okay. Now flashback, you know, 15, 16, 17 years, I can never hit a curveball. I was one of the athletes, you know, I would dive and get all dirty and bloody and try my hardest, but I didn't have like a lot of innate athletic talent. So I, I just, I said to God, look, Mickey Mantle's really not using his talents. You, can't you lend it? lend them to me just for an hour is just it, for the afternoon yeah really what what is the big deal what what terrible thing is going to happen should you do that and of course he ignored me um so i went to the open tryout and it was great fun i was the old guy in fact um you'll see uh, when i you see the, the the clip i was on um all the local t- uh, tv stations channel two four seven nine um or channel 11 was the only one who was disappointed because they told the, my, the, the publicity person, Athenaeum, who I thought he was going to be a better hitter. And she said, well, no, that's the point. But, you know, I hit a lot of air. Paul Blair was there. Remember Paul Blair? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Paul Blair was there and he was interviewed saying, well, Gary doesn't have a lot of talent. You should stick to writing, which I guess I'd rather <laughs> you'll give up the writing. I guess there's <laughs> something for that. And but this is the thing, man. I stood at home plate of the old Yankee Stadium, just like everyone else. Wow. And I sent a field like, you know, the Mick. And then I was in right field with one of the um, 
test was to, you know, hit the cutoff man. And I actually did. I actually threw from right field to the cutoff man, at, you know, near second base. It was, you know, oh, I nice. said, yeah, yeah. I, I always said, well, why isn't anyone saying anything about that? Not just, right. you know, I'm missing. Sweet. Although I hit, I did get one shot. It went off my thigh. But um, maybe because, you know, it was a batting, mach- uh, a pitching machine. Maybe if I'd been able to watch, you know, the hand go back and follow the spin of the ball, nothing would have mattered. It would have been the same, no. But oh, think, yeah. 83, had they signed me and had God giving me, given me Mickey Mantle's talents, the whole Yankee arc of the 80s into the 90s would have been different. Just think about it. I mean, just think about it. Yeah, they would have peaked a lot sooner. If, if they'd won a couple of titles in the 80s, uh, Mattingly would be in the Hall of Fame right now. Maybe you would be, too. Maybe I would be. That's right. right. That's right. So, Gary, now that the prelims and the semis are over, two of my very favorites and good friends of mine, Johnny Rods and Davey O'Hannon, have had their hands raised. Let's talk about dark depths. How are you able to intertwine baseball and dystopia? I mean, I have a very vivid imagination, but I can't wrap my arms around it. What gave you the idea to do that? Well, it was you have to go back to May. 2015, uh, my wife and I were having a Sunday breakfast, everything bagels with the shimmer, listening to nice. the Beatles. And well, that's, that's a good morning. Yeah. That's a good morning, Very right? Good that's, morning. That's, and the, this idea popped into my head. What America has lost World War III. Uh, the country is run by someone named Grandma, and baseball is about to start its last season ever at Amazon Stadium. I Would you have what kind of mushrooms are in those bagels? I, well, I, I can, you know, I know a guy who gets you something. I could get, get you something. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> and then we were off, and um, there were some fits and starts. Uh, uh, you know, it. I mean, it's essentially we uh, America and the West have lost World War Three to the Islamic Empire. Not that that would ever happen, of course. We, we don't think not at all timely. <laughs> and, uh, democracy is dead. America is surrounded. Um, although social media is banned under the anti-narcissism laws, but baseball is associated with the old America, the great America, the America that people feel is re- the, the hubris is responsible for this catastrophe. And baseball is, you know, is down to two teams. Interest has, has waned greatly. Scandals. Uh, it just is too boring. But baseball was always the rowdier of the sports. Uh, base, uh, football and basketball kind of settled down. Uh, more polite, and this is a society which doesn't want rowdiness, which doesn't want polarization anymore. This is a society based on love and relationships and friendships, and it's more communal. It's like an, uh, a nanny state um, where everyone works together. Uh, and so baseball is viewed skeptically, and now Amazon Stadium, formerly known as Yankee Stadium, is, is crumbling at the site of a terrorist attack led by players in 2065 at the World Series between the Yankees and Cubs, where they tried to take out the government to get them to prosecute the war more vigorously, and they failed. So, you know, there's skeletons in, in center field. Literally, and, right? Yeah, yeah, literally. Yep, literally. There's, you know, your bones are going to roll out. The scoreboard's about to completely collapse. And it's like, you know, giving fin- the finger to baseball. And Puppy Nita, who's the, the main character, he's a baseball historian, which is, you know, a very short career right now. Uh, he's a former uh, standout college who hurt his shoulder and um so he has to look for a job and after his birthday he got very drank too much bourbon given by his friends and he wakes up totally hungover because some things don't change in the 22nd century right and on the floor is this old fat smelly guy 
And Puppy says, well, how, how'd you get into my apartment? He says, I don't know, but I'm, and he says, who are you? He says, I'm Mickey Mantle. Puppy says, oh, really? this is really just what I need. Now, Puppy's one of the few people who would know who Mickey Mantle is. Right. Because after baseball was disgraced, they, they, the mobs tore down the Hall of Fame. Owning baseball books was um, illegal. Owning equipment was illegal for, for a long time. So uh, he's like, oh, no, I, I, what am I going to do with this guy? Then a few days later comes a courtly Southern gentleman who insists he's Ty Cobb. Who was pretty horrified by the 22nd century? Like, oh my God, what, what are those two women doing kissing? You know, and Ty, <laughs> right? Yeah. Ty was not an enlightened person. Um, and they and Puppy, um, and also the, uh, a great player from the future, the, the Shohai Otani of her time, it's a woman, Mushi Lopez, and they help rejuvenate baseball. And over the course of the three uh, novels, uh, Amount Over Hell, A Fastball for Freedom, and then um, A Dugout to Peace, which is you know on sale finally now. Uh, baseball leads America back to freedom. Baseball becomes the epicenter of the resistance to get America back to where it once was and to also help bring peace between America and the Islamic Empire, because on both sides, there are people who want the end of war, who want established normal relations. And as is always the case, there are those on both sides who don't. Let me ask you, since you, you mentioned it, when you wrote Mound Over Hell, did you did, did you go into the books knowing it was going to be a trilogy or did, it, did the story slowly progress as you expanded on it? Well, originally it was going to be four books, uh, hmm. but the publisher said people want trilogies now. So I shortened it. That's why the the third one is 565 pages well worth it so so you're not gonna you're not gonna have a uh excuse me you're not gonna have a george rr R. martin and and it'll be 27 years before part four comes out no no this is it i said what i had to say the the characters said what they had to say uh it, w when you're when you write things like this uh, dystopian fiction you're not trying to predict because that's right it. What you want to do is show how things could happen, and I and so so it's credible, uh, so people could say, well, yeah, maybe America would lose democracy, maybe America, the military would be um, degraded enough that it could lose a war, maybe America would want to fight for what it believes in, uh, but ultimately you have to create your own rules, and um, your own laws to fit that world and not previous worlds. There's no mention of any politicians of our time. Uh, the only politicians of the future who get mentioned are ones I've made up. Uh, there's baseball rep references of baseball players like the friends of. So as baseball begins slowly regaining popularity, uh, fan clubs sprout up. So there's friends of Aaron Judge. There's friends of Mike Trout. There's friends of Ernie Banks. Um, but it, and in book two, they finally um, rebuild all the stadiums, but they rebuild it according to the architecture of the time. But by book three, baseball has, again, poor play, uh, terrible play. The fans are bored. It's almost a, re, you know, a replay of 2023. And Puppy Nedek, who is now the commissioner, says, well, I'm throwing it all away. We're going back to the 20th century. That's it. No analytics. No exit velocity. 
all the rules have been overturned. And even the designated hitter is overturned. And the, the, all the, the stadiums are renamed. So now we're back to Shea Stadium, Forbes Field, Crosley Field. Uh, so and then there's actually um, an old timers game. The first in since 2048 between the players from the 20s, I'll say the late 21st century, almost 22nd century, who were primarily um, POWs who were captured and were held in a prison camp in um, in England and escaped thank, with puppy's help. And so they're playing there, the, that team. And um, and then the descendants of the 20th century. So you have like Ilsa Gibson and um, uh, Garcia Marichal and, you know, Myrna Musial and, um, you know, Tennessee Bench. And they square off. They bring, you know, we bring back the bunt. Interesting. But, um, it's, I... but it's a baseball. And so you talk about how I weave it all together. Because baseball was the heart of America mm -hmm. once. And we and, and America, you want to talk about losing something. And when Amer America lost that, it lost part of its soul. And I happen to be sentimental about baseball. And um, and I, I, I bring that to the novels. There's one cat one a character goes into a ball into Yankee Stadium and he looks at the the green field and he says, well, it looks like God's front lawn. And I mean, you have to believe that. But again, you want to talk about in our contemporary society, sentiment is gone. It's like, what is sentiment? You can't be sentimental anymore, right? Uh, and I think that, but you need to have that to love baseball. All right, give random cameo. Um, you know, I'm curious because I'm a I'm a huge nerd and not just for wrestling and baseball, but all the, the typical, you know, nerd stuff, comics, sci fi, all that stuff. Yeah. One of my favorite I don't want to call it a subplot, but for lack of a better term, one of my favorite subplots in, in Star Trek, it goes through it carries through several series, which is why I like it, is. Uh, there's a there's a fictional baseball player in the future named Buck Bokai, and he's re often regarded as the greatest player of the 21st century. And, and uh, you know, he was um, it, basically the story is he played for umpteen years and ended his final years with with a team called the London K the London Knights, who were the. Um, uh, they won the very final World Series because baseball had people had lost interest and and he's there's a there's an scene in one of the later series he's telling a story and he's like yeah you know there was only 300 people in the stands when when I hit that home run that won the World Series and and the the, the, the one of the narratives because they mention it and they kind of expand on it is how what the the like what we consider modern America it mirrored baseball's collapse like as as things like, you know, as technology improved, you know, people could make replicate their own food. So they didn't want to cook anymore. Those were the first people that stopped going to baseball games. And I'm curious if, if, you know, I know I'm obviously not inspired, but, but what do you suppose it is about baseball? Cause your story it compared to that. And I've seen it before where that seems to always be the iconic image of the empty baseball stadium is when, you know, America has uh, the America we know is gone. Well, it's a, it's a, you need patience. You need to be able to analyze brief, not analytics, but to be caught up in the moment. Uh, you need to have the loyalties 
for the greater overall love of the game and to respect the game. You know, Stan the Man Musials, I mean, his nickname, The Man, was coined by Ebbets Field fans who, you know, respected him for that. And I think baseball brought people together and America is no longer, has no center anymore. It's, there's no water cool elements anymore. And, you know, things like the Super Bowl are just so laden with commerciality. I mean, do you, people watch right. the Super Bowl for the game commercials, the new commercials, you know, and baseball had a, a timeless quality, a, a smaller quality, a more individual quality. And I think that has been truly lost, truly lost. Amen. Yeah. So, Gary, uh, since I won't receive my pay for this show, which consists of actually uh, <laughs> Jersey Mike's coupons, hey, uh, unless, unless the, the, I like Jersey Mike's, yeah, uh, yeah. unless they ask enough wrestling questions. So here's a hypothetical question. Just imagine that uh, you, you start writing for the magazines in 1977. You've been watching wrestling for a number of years. You, you get you get you go on a time machine and it takes you to the year 2023. So what, 46 years later? And you you go to a, a, a show, a, a, say Madison Square Garden, and you, you watch like a Roman Reigns and a you know Seth Rollins, and you know the whole WWE show. Do you even recognize wrestling anymore compared to what you saw? Like you know, say you went to the Garden in June of '77 and you saw the main event was uh, Billy Graham against Ivan Putski. I I think you you recognize the outline of. I think also by, you know, going back to baseball, I think you always recognize the baseball dimensions and the game, even when you think there are usurpers there. Uh, but I do think you would recognize professional wrestling. I do. I just think everything around it, uh, the, the core of it, I don't I don't think you'd you'd find quite as um, pleasurable. Do you, do you think the emotion would be the same? See, I think that would be the biggest difference because I think if you went to the Garden in June of '77 to watch Putski, you, you wanted Putski to beat Graham, and you, you know, to you it was very real, and you really wanted Putski to beat Graham and be the new champion. Where you know, if you go in in, in 2023, you're going to watch a show. Well, yes, again, it, it because wrestling back then was a sport in your head, so it was no different than a boxing match. Because it, you you didn't think it was fake, so is, is when you know something's real, you have a different. You're invested differently. You're following it different. What right. different? Your emotions are completely different. Nowadays, it's you know it's stage. You know it's entertainment. You know it's you know as Dan said, it's scripted. Not now, not that it wasn't back then. Um, that's not you know, but how it's presented, and look. Vince Jr., you know, made a zillion dollars doing that as a yeah. businessman who could quarrel, right? Maybe it, it, it he, there was no choice. Maybe that was the right move. But again, it you lose something from the sport. And, you know, people could say, well, we lost the trolley cars, too, and the horse and buggy. But there's things which touch you, people, that you lose and you don't get them back. And certainly not in our society. We, we lose things and what do we get? TikTok? I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, what, what do we, you know, 
what are we getting for the sacrifices as we, you know, we, we're compartmentalized and in silos. And, it, you know, what happened in, during COVID was, it was happening long before that. You know, the detachment. Uh, in, in my novels, like I said, social media is banned under the anti-narcissism laws, not because of, you know, something uh, Elon Musk did or Mark Zuckerberg did. It's because this world is grounded on, like I said, love and family and friendships. And I don't want to shock anyone out there, but the thousand friends you have on Facebook ain't really your friends. But, you know, we think they are. So, again, it's all, you know, so when you don't really know what is, <laughs> you could be easily manipulated into what isn't. And that's, I think, what's yeah, good point. Right? One step away. That's said but who's gonna say well speaking of uh saying and looking to the future is while we were still bouncing around on the topics of baseball um i mean there's still some some big names that haven't been traded or signed yet uh the seasons still or the, the the excuse me the the preseason as it were is still forming but uh who's playing in the 2024 world series well, you know, I'll make Benny happy, and I think that the Yankees are going to get Soto. You think so? Yeah, I, I don't I think so. I don't think they're going to let that deal go away. Really? So we're talking about not giving up Michael King for Juan Soto? Are you kidding me? Or these other prospects, really? The guys who could, you know, I, I, this guy Drew Thorpe is, you know, he's was supposedly the best pitcher in the minor leagues last year, but he throws in the low 90s. He has a great changeup. Well, Major League hitters are not the same as double-A hitters. They're not so easily fooled. So, as long as we don't give up Anthony Volpe, I can't, I can't part with the guy. Well, if, if we get Soto, there's probably a good chance we sign Soto. 25 years old. Yeah, he, he's a generational ball player for sure. How can you let – you can't let that go. But look, um, the Yankees and the Dodgers – I think from like 2000 over the past, like eight years of one, the top uh, two most game uh, games in the majors and they've won one world series. Just as we saw this past year, just getting plays. You don't know what's going to happen, but the Yankees better do something because judge and Cole are not old, but um, they're in the, in the middle of their prime. I, I'm, I'm really curious to see if Baltimore's Dan going to step up and get a starting rotation because they really need pitching. Yeah, but um, I, I mean, as you saw with Means, uh, ending up with the the um, in Los Angeles, that they're, uh, they're they're a cheap, low market team. They're they were able to put together the wonderful season they had last year because seventy five percent of their talent is still on rookie junior contracts. You know, when when the highest paid player on your team's making eight million a season, you're not going to be able to afford anybody in anywhere near the echelon. I mean, you know, the, someone like Otani that's going to probably end up with a five to $600 million contract. He's going to make more in the next five years than the or entire Orioles roster combined will make before I'm yep. 50. Like, yep. you know, it's just, no, I mean, you, you saw that with, uh, no offense, but, but with, um, judge, the, yeah. the highest paid player, one of the highest paid players in the league. There were entire teams making less than he made, and that's one player. The Orioles aren't going to. They, they'll they'll 
they'll do their, they'll work their magic. They'll find the international prospect. They'll find the, um, you know, 20, somewhere between 28 and 35 year old player that they somehow magically get another couple years out of the, uh, Yankees prove that with the wonderful trade or a wire pickup, I should say we had from, from you guys. But, um, I don't, I don't see it. I, I, I hope for the best, but no, there's there's no big names floating out there that are going to be Orioles next year. Well, they could be like Tampa, too, and put together pitching staff somehow. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. But much much like you see with, uh, you know, so, some of the cores that always end up in the same spot. I mean, Soto was, a, you were just talking about Juan Soto. He was a young up-and-coming talent that was brought up and trained well through the development system, and he's not staying anywhere near where he was. Yeah. But what can you do? So, Gary, you're, you're quite the busy man. Uh, you just released the, the, the book, and I read on social media that your play, A Black and White Cookie, uh, I think we discussed that on your last appearance, has earned six Broadway uh, World uh, Award nominations. Um, one of those is for you for Best uh, best Play. So refresh our memory about this play again, as well as uh, a tomato can't grow in in the Bronx. Well, um, a black and white cookie actually ran in Los Angeles for six weeks over the summer and then for a while simultaneously in New Jersey. And so the the production in Los Angeles got six Broadway World Regional nominations and the one in New Jersey got seven. And it's about the um, unlikely relationship between a conservative African-American newsstand owner in New York City, who after the pandemic finally reopens his, his business only to get hit by a, an exorbitant rent increase and he can't afford it. So he's going to, you know, close up the business, retire to Florida with his um, with his niece. He happens to be a big um, Mets fan, by the way. And uh, so enter his longtime customer, um, Albie Sands, who's um, a Meshuggah communist Jew who persuades him to fight back. And so it's about, it shows everything they have to overcome. It shows that there's really more that unites us than divides us, which is kind of what I try to show in my works. Um, uh, That, you know, for all the screaming and the yelling, we have to come together. And um, a a recent play is Dancing on Glass, which looks at um, anti-Semitism and political bullying um, at a private school in Brooklyn. And then I have a play upcoming. It's going to have a Zoom premiere in January uh, called Walking Charlie. It's a romantic dramedy about a small business owner in Brooklyn and uh, a sassy Venezuelan political refugee who are brought together by a pug dog named Charlie. You saw the inspiration. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> at the top. Well, Black, you see, there's a thing when you're a writer, you could write and point fingers you know for, for you know a couple thousand years more uh go back to ancient greeks probably before that if it, it's just not recorded artists would hold up a mirror to society that's what we do you say this is wrong what are you going to do about it they'd show things that people didn't want to talk about that things that needed to be addressed uh we were the others because you don't become a writer because you're completely sane that's it's just that's not how it happens you just you're a little off so you view the world off um but what we have there's a difference between just um showing social messaging saying this is wrong but you have to show it through people through flawed people 
and be willing to show you know, good people doing the wrong things. And at the end of the day, what's really important is you have to show a way forward. You have to, through the darkness, you have to show a light. And that's really important. You must leave your readers or your viewers or the audience to say that there's hope. And, and in my novels, um, it's it boils down to faith. And I'm not talking about faith of, you know, God, but faith in ourselves and each other and also baseball. Because there's a, uh, a former Newsday um, Sunday sports editor, John Quinn, said the boys in, in an advanced review, the, the boys of summer save the world. Thanks. Well, let me ask you, um, and we still got a little bit, a little bit of time as we get ready to wrap up. I'm curious. Uh, we've talked a lot. I mean, obviously, given given the history and what you've had with with baseball, um, I want to circle back to wrestling for a minute. The the current product, there's been a lot of of uh, news that's come out, especially, you know, since the last time you've been on uh, our show. Just look at all the changes. WWE has new ownership, uh, rating shifts. Uh, several big name stars have, have bounced around or, or come and gone. The, the big events. Um, I'm curious uh, if you I mean, I, I know you, you said last time you weren't the most faithful follower of the current product, but if you have any thoughts about where wrestling is today. Well, it, 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 it's it was you have all the different all vying for credibility, right? All say, you know, and it's it's different than how it used to be when you had legitimate geographical or, 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 you know, associations. Because mm. that made sense, you know. You had, you know, the, the north, you know, the northwest, the midwest, the northeast, you know. I mean, on and on. Um, that all made sense, and I think that they're going to cannibalize themselves after a while. I hope they don't kill the golden, you know, in their effort to be the supreme league. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any consensus around the product, and they might not have the same visions. And um, that's not good. It's not good because you'll have an even product. That's fair. Well, one other thing. Sorry, Benny, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, one other th thought is uh, recently the NWA announced plans to expand and bring back what they called bring back the territory system. They've already been some announcements of territories that are signing contracts. Um, at the top of the show, I. Uh, gave well wishes to VC, former VCW commissioner George Pontus on his retirement. VCW just announced today at their show in February, EC3 is going to defend the NWA title at a VCW show. First time that's ever happened. And you're seeing a lot more involvement with NWA talent in the territory systems. I'm wondering, because it kind of goes to what you were talking about with baseball and fan interest and all that. Do you think a, a regional yet somehow connected territory system could exist in the social media and uh, modern age? Well, it, the social media will try to unite it, assuming that everyone is following social media. There's a lot of people who don't. I know that's like, oh, my God, what, what's wrong with you? <laughs> right. Uh, uh, and I think a lot of the fans, I think that the, the foundation with fans, like you say, would be vested in their own region. There would be a sense of identification, a sense of local pride. Um, I think it'd be really cool. I really do. I think it's almost like, you know, college sports in a way. And I I, I really I like, like 
I, I like that comparison. Yeah, I really, I really like that. I think that, see, that's something instead of just the, you know, the, the mega leagues, the all powerful leagues to bring it back to the grass, the, the grassroots. I'm, cause I'm, you know, at heart a populist. And I really like that. I mean, you know, the minor leagues in baseball are, you know, the, the incubator, right? I mean, you want to see baseball at its most profound level. We, you know, a few times a year, we, uh, I live in Brooklyn, which is why I talk like this. And we go to um, Coney Island, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it, it's, it's a wonderful um, stadium. It's, it's a wonderful ballpark. And to see the cyclones, you know, you're sitting there and the actual cyclone roller coaster is on, you know, clattering away and you have the ocean there and you have the smell of Nathan's hot dogs and that's baseball. It's, uh, it's not the quality of play at Yankee Stadium or Dodger Stadium, but it's still baseball. And I think if you get, you see, right. So if, if it's regional with wrestling, it's still wrestling. It's the, the, still the same rules. And people have more of a connection to it than garish corporate ownership of all the best seats. I mean, I think there's something you know, when you want to talk about a country or fans connecting at the most profound level, that's where it, it really is. I love the idea. I think it's great. I think you should be one of the commissioners, Dan. <laughs> I'll take it. Then, then I might be able to uh, raise Benny's salary to two Jersey Mike's coupons a week. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't encourage him. No. I got to keep the weight down. So one's good. You yeah. know what? All, all jokes aside, though, um, it, you know Benny. Benny gets the best hot dogs and heartiest handshakes for his work here. I so. did, yeah, I, I'm not complaining. Well, Benny, as we wrap up tonight, um, final thoughts to you? Anything? Yeah. Well, I want to thank Gary. It's been a pleasure as always, just like I thought it was going to be. And I do share his love of minor league baseball. I mean, Sundays here in Florida, you're going to catch me at uh, either the stadium in Dunedin or the stadium in Clearwater watching either the uh, Blue Jays or the Threshers, which are the Phillies minor league team. And it doesn't really matter who they're playing or who's on the teams. You know, a couple of things. One is it's very cheap entertainment, but it's sure. good entertainment. You can get in for seven bucks. You know, you can get yourself a hot dog and a beer for maybe 15 bucks. And then once you get in and you have that hot dog and your bratwurst or whatever it is, you're watching a baseball game. And it doesn't really, to me at least, it doesn't matter who's playing, but you know, the, the good thing, it's like going to an indie wrestling show. You know, again, it's going to be affordable. And you never know. You are gonna you might be seeing that next big thing. Same thing with with a, a minor league baseball game. You never know. You might be seeing, you know, the next superstar in the major leagues, that $500 million player in the future. So I definitely I definitely hear what Gary's saying, and I totally agree. But, Gary, where, where can we find your books? And are there any future projects that you're working on that you might want to tell everybody about? Um. Yeah, you can go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any you know, any bookstore, order online, order it there. And I'm just you know, um, out here, um, I you know, three three novels. It was a lot. It's you know, sixteen hundred pages. <laughs> wow. And, you know, really, that's a lot. That's in that publishing. Is a, yeah. you know, that's not manuscript form. And it was very sad when I, um, you know, you have to say goodbye to your characters. You, um, it's it sounds very trippy, and yes, I did a lot of drugs in college in the '70s, so you could forgive me. But a lot of 
writers will say that the characters speak to you. They come from somewhere and we could, you know, discuss exactly who opens the door to the other side and they take over the stories and it's the most wonderful feeling. And they were part of me and I had to say goodbye. So now I'm focusing on my on some plays now. Yeah. Well, um, you know, obviously, like you said, uh, books available anywhere, anywhere, uh, Amazon, anywhere books can be found a mound over hell, a fastball for freedom, a dugout to peace, uh, the trilogy you were speaking of earlier. I know we, we touched on it a little bit on the last show, but I was kind of hoping you could talk about it again. Cause I mentioned being a bit of a sci-fi nerd, it, BHC press, uh, we'll taught you obviously all the links for, for your works there. There is a newer, or newer being relative term, uh, came out in 2019 edition of War of the Worlds that you're tagged on, uh, an intro and a short story, kind of a, a special version of it. Um, could you kind of just talk about that? Uh, my last question to you is is your your intro to War of the Worlds. How did how did that come about? Well, for a while they were doing um, classic novels, publishing classic novels in the public domain, and they had an idea, well, what about a short story? Um, picking up after the end of War of the Worlds. And so I wrote a story, well, what if the, what if the, the, one of the Martians uh, survived? What if they really didn't all die? So it was kind of cool to, you know, me and H.G. Wells. I hope he's not turning over in his grave, but it was <laughs> quite an honor to, to add to that. Well, I'm, uh, I'm sure that, that, that he appreciates your work better than if anyone remembers that, that aborted, uh, I think it was HBO that made for TV War of the Worlds 2 attempted sequel that was oh. about like the, the the secret government organization testing the alien part. It was atrocious. This was came out. I remember watching it when I was a kid. It was awful. Um, yeah. So I'm sure I'm sure he appreciates everything you did because you, you clearly cared more about the source material than they did. Uh, <laughs> But uh, Gary, again, thank you so much for your time. This has always been a blast. It's uh, baseball and wrestling are our favorite topics on the show. So I mean, the fact that we get to talk about both with such uh, focus is just great stuff. And again, thank you for your thank you for everything you've done at the writing. It's great stuff, Benny. Uh, as like I said, we wrap up. Final thoughts, closing thought to you. No, I just, you know, happy to t chat with Gary again. And uh, we're, our plans are to go to a Yankee game next year, not Amazon Stadium. And uh, <laughs> well, I, and can I say, uh, um, congratulations to the two of you for what a wonderful show. I remember when you first, you know, it first launched and your success is just so heartening and you both really deserve it. Well, thank, thank you. you. And, and it's it's guests like you that have definitely helped through the through the years. I mean, we're coming up on on three. So be, wow. be before you have what February, right, Benny? Yeah, uh, I think January 28th. So that means based on what Gary yeah. said, I should I should be upgraded to pork roll. No, <laughs> <laughs> at least at least he called it pork roll. Benny slips yeah. into a into his evil state and calls it Taylor Ham yeah, every I, once I, in a while. I've, those yeah, those right. words are not allowed on this show. Right. Understand. I always say there's two ways to, to call it. You pork roll and wrong. Those are the only two. <laughs> but so for Gary, uh, again, your amazing work. Thank you so much for the play of himself, Benny Scala. I'm Dan Spashano. Have a good night, everyone. And we will see you next time we're in the ring.